Hey, Marissa, are you ready to crush it? I'm so ready to crush it. Hi, I'm Devin Handy. And I'm Marissa Cavis. Welcome to Crush the Midterms, the podcast. Um, (laughs) The podcast. The podcast. We have another very exciting and sexy topic. I'm only being a little bit sarcastic. I think this is actually a topic that's very important to campaigns. And Marissa, you and I were talking. It In the past, it wasn't really discussed much. It was just sort of this unwritten, understood thing. And that is campaign finance and money in campaigns. Please, please don't turn us off yet. Please hang, hang in there. We promise it's good. We promise it's good. We have a fantastic guest. We got Luba Gretchen Shirley to sit down with us and talk to us about her campaign, her campaign finances. And we we asked her to come on because she made a splash but, uh, not too long ago by petitioning the FEC to allow her to use campaign donations for childcare, which I guess had not been an issue in other people's campaigns up to this point, or if it had been, they hadn't bothered to, they hadn't thought to ask the FEC to use the funds that way. So well, it's just sort of incredible because it makes you realize a, probably how few moms in total have run for office in right. earnest. And if the ones who have, have just sort of had to slot themselves into business as usual and just figure it out. Right. And right. Uh, so Lubo was like, well, I I could, you know, suffer or I could right. take this, so a, a tiny piece of this huge amount of money I've had to raise for this campaign and take care of my family while um, trying to become the next congresswoman from uh, New York's 2nd Congressional District. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it is kind of wild that it took until 2018 for that to uh, to come up as an issue. But Only you know, like uh, 100 years after women's suffrage. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's NPT. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I also really love talking to her because she's been very open about the fact that campaign finance is a difficult obstacle to overcome when running for office. So especially when she's running against Peter King, who was a 13 term incumbent, 13 terms. That is, can I just go off for a second as long Island girl? All right. Everyone. I don't know if I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but I am a long Island native. I did not grow up in Peter King's district, but I grew up right next to it. And he has been the, the source of consternation for Long Islanders for so many years. And when I heard that there was a candidate and not just a candidate, but a young, awesome, smart woman who was a formidable opponent taking him on, I was like, hell yes. Um, and then just this whole dimension of, of being really savvy about money and wanting to shake things up and change the system. It just, it really just took, took things to the next level. It's so exciting. It is so exciting. And, and, you know, she said she's like, she is going up against this long term incumbent who has a whole bunch of money saved up. And the first thing she heard when she started to run for office was, you need to raise $100,000 before people take you seriously. So I think her story really encompasses and hits on a lot of the points that can be very painful about campaign finance. Um, I, was and- just, uh, I was just reading a story um, about Claire McCaskill yesterday. And, you know, she's, she's facing a really tough reelection in Missouri. 
for Senate um, and just talking about when she was running in her early days and had her young children in tow and just had to figure it out. Um, but you shouldn't just have to figure it out and sort of push through it. And there, there are ways that we shouldn't have this system that is just like, if you don't, if you aren't independently wealthy or if you don't have access to people who are, who are wealthy, then there's just no chance that you could possibly represent the American people. You know, when I, I've spoken to a lot of candidates running for all sorts of offices from, you know, very local positions all the way up to, you know, the federal positions. And the, whenever I ask the question, what has been most difficult about your campaign? Almost without exception, they respond fundraising. And so, I mean, it, it's just a huge deal. And, and so I think, especially, you know, one of the tenants of Crush the Midterms or one of the buckets, as, as, you know, we like to say, is donating because money is such, at, at this current junction in our political moment, money is so important to political campaigns and donating is such an important part of the process. And I think we just wanted to explain why and explain, you know, why donating is is really important and in putting your money with your favorite candidate or your preferred candidate is is really really important and just to getting just elected. thinking about where um where your money is going and, and it can feel kind of weird I, I don't know sometimes when I, i've donated to a whole bunch of candidates um this year and in the past and sometimes i have this weird moment like i'm just giving my hard-earned money over to someone who just decided they want to take a stab at running. Um, and why am I, you know, I understand it kind of in a way. And then part of me is like, but why? And but then, why? <laughs> like, <laughs> but, but why? But why is it this way? Like, why should I, why should all of us have to empty our pockets, especially this year, to like protect democracy? <laughs> why is it incumbent upon us? But then um, I, I gave this, um, I gave a presentation yesterday at this women's breakfast in New York about crush the midterms. And um, I put it this way. It's like, it's like any sort of um, investment. You know, if you believe in a company, believe in a product, you believe in a person, you, um, you put in that investment and then I hope it will come back to you and, for something like this, like we're investing in our future. So it's, it's, if you actually think that the, the a candidate is really going to be able to help achieve the, the goals and values that, that you want to see in your government, it's actually a very good investment. Good ROI. It is. Good, good ROI. So I, you know, again, this is not everyone's favorite topic. But I, I do think that the conversation we had with Luba was really enlightening to me in a lot of ways in terms of seeing the impact and the challenges that that money really lends to a campaign. And and I think with that understanding to your point Marissa, understanding where your money goes and why you're making this investment and then once you've made that investment what they're using that money for can be very empowering to know that and to know how your money is making a direct difference. Without further ado, why don't we um, let you listen in on this chat we had with Luba. It, it's awesome. I think you'll enjoy it. <laughs> I was trying to think of something more clever to say and that, that is all I came up with, but you will enjoy it. <laughs> 
All right, everyone. We are here with Luba Gretchen Shirley. She is a Democrat running for U.S. Congress from New York's 2nd District. That's on Long Island. As a, a fellow Long Island girl, I am really excited. Um, and just full disclosure, I have been out in the field canvassing for her. So I'm basically just going to fangirl. <laughs> but um, Luba, welcome. Welcome to the Crush Midterms podcast. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Um, so we, we invited you on because we wanted to talk about the very sexy topic of money. <laughs> um, and um, we know that that's been a really uh, a big piece of your campaign. And it kind of you made your first big splash as a candidate when you um, asked the Federal Election Commission if you could use campaign funds to pay for child care. And so just to kick us off, uh, was money a major factor in whether or not you were going to run for Congress? I guess it wasn't It wasn't part of my decision-making process. I was more concerned about the issues and what was happening in the country and the direction that our country was taking. But I, I remember having conversations. I actually spoke with Emily's List, and they told me that I had to raise $100,000 from my friends and my family before I would before anybody would consider me legitimate. And I've, I've worked in global development my entire life. I don't come from a wealthy family. And I wasn't sure how I was going to do that. And I, I ended up just calling every person I've ever known or worked with in my entire life. And, and I raised 126000 in the first two months before hiring any staff. Um, wow. And then the first six months of the campaign. So that was, I lost the campaign on October 23rd and then hit 126000 that first quarter. And then I hired my first staff member, my campaign manager in January. And for the first six months of the campaign, I had the kids with me full time. And my mom would come home at 3.30 every day. She's a teacher and she'd take the kids. But it, it became pretty clear that we weren't going to be able to continue to build the campaign without help. And at that point, I mean, I was campaigning. You work 24-7 with no salary. And there's a reason we have so many millionaires in Congress, because most working people can't afford to to not work, to give up a salary, to pay their mortgage and their school loans, and then also pick up the cost of childcare. And, and it's so um, I, I was curious, because um, I'm sure a lot of uh, women and working moms were really excited about it. But did you see a difference between um, how men and women reacted to uh, your, your quest to kind of change the rules around um, campaign finance? Honestly, no. I think that the majority of people were really excited about it because they realized it's a way to break down barriers and, and, and make sure that we have more women in office and more dads as well, more, more parents of young children, more people from diverse socioeconomic backgrounds. I mean, every national news outlet covered it, even Fox News said it was the one bipartisan thing they could agree with. Um, <laughs> the, the few comments that the people had that were not positive were from people who thought that I was using people's tax dollars to pay for child care. When, they did, when, they, when I explained that, no, I was using private individual contributions that I'm raising for my campaign and I, I can choose how to use this money to, to build the campaign, then the few people who had concerns about it no longer had concerns. And I thought it made a lot of sense. It's so interesting that people are concerned about how tax dollars are spent. It's like, if you only knew, you guys. <laughs> if you only knew. <laughs> You've also rejected corporate PAC money. And and mm-hmm. quite a few other candidates have in this cycle as well. And and so what made you decide to do that? Especially, you know, like you said, you kind of started by calling every single person you knew and, and raising this initial capital. And so rejecting corporate PAC money, you know, is, is you know, something that's been it's, in your campaign. It's the only way to make sure that candidates and representatives are actually responsible just to the constituents. 
Mr. Uh, Mr. King, Peter King, my opponent, uh, has taken millions of dollars from corporate PACs, and that's who he's responsible for. I mean, he he's he's taken tens of thousands of dollars from the pharmaceutical company, pharmaceutical companies who are directly responsible for the opiate overdoses that we're seeing on Long Island. He's taken over a hundred thousand dollars from the healthcare industry and voted to take healthcare away from seventy four thousand people in our district this year. He takes money from real estate companies and then has has no incentive to do anything about the affordable housing crisis. These are these are real issues that are affecting our district. And if you are taking money from corporate PACs, you're responsible to them. Our average contribution is only $107, and we outraised uh, Peter King by more than half a million dollars this quarter. And that's that's exciting. I mean, we've consistently outraised him, but now we outraised him by more than half a million dollars because people are paying attention, and people want to make sure that their voices are being heard. Because for a long time, their voices have been drawn out by special interests and corporate money. Right. Absolutely. And um, obviously money is so crucial to getting a campaign off the ground, as you realize. But, you know, so especially for a first time candidate like yourself, it's, it's about people as well. I mean, are you able to run a successful campaign without without having this, you know, huge cash of money? Like, is that the key to, to really being able to get things done? You need both. You can't do you can't do it with just volunteers and you can't do it with just money. Uh, when I when elected, I will fight for campaign finance reform so that we level the playing field and people actually have a fighting chance. There's a reason that the you know the power of incumbency is so strong because people have the opportunity to build up you know millions of dollars in their war chest over decades, and it's difficult for people who want to challenge them to raise that kind of money, but. You don't you don't realize this. When I was considering running for office, I kept looking, you know, for, for articles and books and to see, you know, what it, what it was really like to run. And there's really not a lot of resources. There's no book that says this is what it's like to run for office. And I, you know, you don't realize how much money it costs to run a campaign, but it really does. It, it's necessary to raise that amount of money right now the way that our, that our campaign system is set up because you have to raise the money to have the, the commercials on TV, to send out the mailers, to pay your staff, to have an office, to buy the literature where people go out and knock on doors. All of that costs a lot of money. So you do need to raise the money, but you, you can't do it without with just money. You can't, if you, if, you hire volunteers, if you hire people to go out and knock on doors, it doesn't give you the same outcome as if you have volunteers who are out there talking to neighbors because they're passionate about the issues and they're fighting for you because they know that you're going to stand up for them. So we, all of our canvases are volunteers and it's, it's incredible because they're, they're in it because they, they want to see change. Right. Actually, it's interesting because you, you touched on this, but my next question was, I think when people donate to a campaign, it can sometimes be a little bit abstract exactly why they're donating or why you need to raise so much money. Like you said, there's not a lot of information out there of what it's like to run a campaign, what it's really like to be on the trail. So, you know, you, you said you have to pay for all these different things, the literature, the staff, the the commercials. Um, and then now, uh, you know, you won the, you know, you petitioned the FEC to then pay for childcare. What would you say is the the single biggest expense on your campaign? Now that we're so close to the to the election is, is the, the cost of TV, the commercials, because we're in a New York City media market and it really it costs a lot of money to keep your commercials up on air. But it's all about getting your message out there. If you have the money, you can get your message out there. If you don't, it's difficult to. You can have the best message, you can have the best volunteers, but if you don't have the money to amplify your message, people aren't going to hear it and they're not going to know, you know what you're fighting for. 
So even with our, our changing media landscape, does it still feel like it's crucial to do TV commercials and spend that money? We're, we're spending a lot of money on digital advertisements. We're sending out a lot of mailers. Um, we've got people going out and knocking on doors. We knocked on more than 16,000 doors this weekend, and those are all volunteers. But we still do need the TV commercials because there are a lot of people who do you know, still get their news from, from the television. And we're, we're definitely spending a lot on digital because a lot of, a lot of the younger people and the millennials will, will not watch TV. I mean, I can tell you the last time I watched TV, but, it's, uh, but we still we need to spend money on digital advertising as well. Yeah, I don't have cable anymore. Any- it's it's been a relief. <laughs> yeah, I, I still have cable for some reason, but it's it's like it feels like a, an antique, like a relic. Um, yeah. But you know, you've already made this huge splash with um, changing this this rule about paying for childcare, and you mentioned wanting to make other changes to campaign finance um, uh, if you're elected, or should I say when you're elected? Um, yeah. So I'm curious, like, what, what are some of the other changes that, that you would hope to make? I, I support publicly financed elections. I think that if you had publicly financed elections, we would, we would level the playing field. More people would have an opportunity to run for office and they wouldn't be fighting with with people who are independently wealthy. I mean, almost half of our representatives are millionaires. And it there's a reason for that because to take a year off, to take a year and a half off of your life and work full time without a salary, most working people can't do that. So we're missing out on the voices of people who actually understand the issues because we live them every day. If you had more people in office who who knew what it was like not to have paid family leave or who knew what it was like to worry about how they're going to afford childcare or relied on CHIP for their children's health care, you wouldn't have representatives that let CHIP the funding for CHIP laps. We need more people from diverse socioeconomic backgrounds in Congress and, and having publicly financed elections would be one way to make that happen. And it feels like now more than ever, especially with, with Trump and his glorification of money as a form of power, you know, having access to money says something about like how how competent you might be as as an elected official which seems so backwards like like you said and we how how much richer would our government be um proverbially if we had people from these more diverse backgrounds it would just it would change everything it would change everything it would change the conversations that we're having in washington also when when you have to spend I mean, when you're running for Congress, you spend upwards of 30 hours a week just fundraising. Wow. And wow. there are people who spend 50, 60 hours a week fundraising. And that takes away time that you should be out in your community talking to your constituents, getting to know the issues, having town halls, having meet and greets. And that's, I mean, in terms of, in terms of needing funds for child care, if you didn't have to fundraise, you would have the time to also take care of your children and be out campaigning. The majority of the time almost when you're running for office is spent fundraising and that's that's not the, the best way that our government should represent people. Yeah. And and you have to do it every two years. <laughs> yeah. Once you're elected. Thing. Right. Yeah, like you were saying, the um, the power of the incumbency, because you can you have those two years to fundraise and, and sort of build that that war chest. It's it, it is definitely a, sort of a, a weighted system, huh? It is. I mean Peter King has a three million dollar war chest. We're consistently outraising him. We outraise him by half a million dollars, but he's still sitting on a $3 million war chest that he's built up since I was 12 years old. And so that's why you get people who are in office for decades, and that's why they're not actually, they don't need to to be responsive to their constituents because they're not really, no one is challenging them. Very few people will try to raise that kind of money to challenge them. And so people get complacent. They stop doing the job. 
in the time that Peter King has been in office, he's written three novels, but he refuses to hold a town hall. <laughs> Jeez. That, it, it's unreal. It's unreal. Well, we have 13 days um, till election day. How are you feeling? <laughs> I'm excited. I'm very excited. Um, everybody keeps asking why I'm not nervous and why I'm so calm. And it's just... This is this has been an incredible year, and I've gotten to know so many people across the district, and there are so many people who are fired up and dedicating their free time and taking their children out knocking on doors, and we've built this incredible grassroots movement, and I'm so proud to be part of it. Yeah. Well, I'm very proud to be a part of it, too. So <laughs> thank you for thank creating you. it. I appreciate that. <laughs> thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for knocking on doors and volunteering and helping. It's, it's incredible. I'll be back out there this weekend <laughs> and the weekend after, and we're just sprinting to the finish line until our feet fall. Yep. I'm driving I'm driving <laughs> out to uh, California 25 to canvas for Katie Hill this weekend. So it's going to be really fun. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah, Katie's awesome. Um, well, Luba, thank you so much for joining us, and we can't wait to talk to you again when you're a U.S. Congresswoman. <laughs> that sounds great. I look forward to speaking with you then, and I'll see you this weekend. See you this weekend. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Right. Bye. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. All right, Marissa, I honestly, I, I know I said this at the top of the show, but I really, really loved speaking with Luba. Um, like you said as well, she's a, a bright, formidable young candidate and she has just, you know, I mean, she has raised the hell out of some money for her campaign. It is absolutely incredible. Yeah, I, I, I love it. Like I said, Long Island girl and a, a Luba super fan. Um, and she, she, I would say is crushing it. I would say she's crushing it. So So that is it for us today, but we are about five minutes away from the midterms. What what is it? Less than two weeks? Yes. Less less than two weeks. weeks. And, and we're on episode eight of this podcast, which is wild. Um, And we've come so far together uh, and we've earned this this uh, end to the, the hellish road. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So join us next week. We'll have another topic, another guest, another way to crush the midterms.